But on today's episode, we are talking officiating. Uh, we have interviews with local refs in the D1, all the way down to varsity and youth sports. We'll be having a throwback interview with Jerry Mark Bright, uh, former NFL White Hats. And we'll have our old look at new and forgotten and never forgotten. Where else would you want to be other than literally on the field or on the court or on the rink, uh, being in the middle of everything? You know, I can't think of another job where you can do that. Welcome to the NoosaCast. What is a NoosaCast? It's where we bring local folk stories to life through conversation. Hello, NoosaCast listeners, and welcome to episode number nine of the NoosaCast. We uh, appreciate your continuing to join us on this journey and uh, keep listening and and uh, following the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We we really appreciate that. Um, it's hard to believe that we've done nine episodes already, Joel. Yeah, we keep plugging along. And, you know, like we've said before, this is really, it's a lot of fun for you and I. This episode in particular is, uh, well, it's been a passion of mine for a lot of years, you know, talking officials. Uh, so we get to nerd out on that, which uh, yeah. I'm sure everybody's going to be excited for, for that, right? I've yelled at enough officials, so. That's right. We, we all have. So that works that's as well. Right. That's right. <laughs> well, now you get to meet officials and see that they're actually humans and they actually put work in, in, into their craft. And yeah, that's. Loved, love to get yelled at, you know. Yeah, I think that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's an, uh, I don't think the average person realizes how much work goes into officiating and the planning that takes to to be a quality official on the field so uh, i think that'll be uh an eye-opening listen for our uh, our listeners here on the newsacast yeah i hope so it's uh it's a subject certainly i'm passionate about and it's a big part of my life so i'm i'm excited to share that that's for sure tash excellent uh, it's been a good week it's hard to believe here labor day is coming up but high school football's in full swing we you know we talked about the apple bowl last week a little bit that yep. was a Tough one for FEL. Tough one for FEL. Um, you know, but you have to take those types of games and you have to learn from them. And hopefully that propels you through the rest of the season. So hopefully they can uh, figure things out. Xavier had a nice game. So um, for them to continue and building on the success that they've had, that's going to be important for them. I know uh, the Kimberly Bayport game was a was a grinder, uh, 17-14 game. Uh, just It played out just exactly, you know, we thought maybe they'd throw up some more points, but um, it was a battle for sure. So, yeah, early in the season for both teams, the offense took a little, they struggled the first half for sure. Just uh, both teams trying to find their way, but they both have pretty good defenses. So that, that that's part of the issue there. But uh, yeah, that was a great high school football game. And unfortunately, Friday, we had a little weather move in and, yeah. and interrupted some of the games, but you know, we, we move on here to, to week three of high school football. Appleton North travels down to Fond du Lac, plays on the new, another new turf field down down at Fond du Lac. That's, that's going to be nice. Um, that is a, a highlight FBA game for sure early in the season. Yeah. I was thinking 
Tash, this is the year of turf. You've got Fond du Lac threw some new turf down. You've got um, uh, Nina with a new high yep. school. They they have new turf, and I think out. Don't I think Brilliant has new turf? I thought I heard. Okay. Um, or Chilton, Chilton or Brilliant. I, Chilton, I, I think does straight. for sure. Yeah, that might be it. Yep. No, it's uh, mo- most of the schools now are going to turf, which is. Uh, I mean, it's it's become a little bit more economically feasible, especially with the lifespan as the as the technology changes and improves. Um, the lifespan of that turf is now 12 to 15 years. Yeah. It makes it a, a little bit more. Yeah. It makes it a little bit more of a, of a, something that high schools can do. And then when you can have all of your teams playing, you can have your baseball team out there, your softball team, your soccer team, your football, and not have to worry about that natural turf getting tore up and muddy like they used to, you know, three quarters of the way through the season. Um, it, it does make sense economically to put that turf in. Yeah, no, agreed. And and they're putting them in for, for the baseball teams. You're yep. seeing a lot more turf infields. Yep. The soccer pitches are are becoming turf now. A lot of a lot of places now have indoor facilities. Right. It's uh it's something to see, that's that's for sure. I know my son doesn't like playing on it, but <laughs> he says he'd rather play on grass. But you know, for the for the sake of the game and be able to play and not worry about weather and different things like that, it definitely makes sense. Yeah, you know, I understand it from a player's perspective. Uh, from an official's perspective, I love working a, a turf field. Obviously, the lines are, are clean. Just everything is better uh, on turf. But I think Ethan's right, and he might be referring to just how your body feels yeah. because your body does take a bit more pounding, I feel, on, on turf a, l- a little bit. Um, you know, the footing's great, but grass is just it's just naturally softer it feels yeah. better on the joint so yeah, absolutely i i know where he's coming from on on that i i think i agree with him yeah you know and it's not the the astro turf that it used to be where it's right. like laid on concrete uh they do put a lot into it and it has improved so we'll have to see we'll have to see what happens i i think you're going to see a lot more schools going to the turf um as they fundraise and and get money to to be able to do that so Tosh, that makes me laugh. We, that that that'd be a great and old look at new the old carpeted concrete. Remember, <laughs> Camp Randall was that oh way. Soldier Field. Those that was literally a yeah thin piece of carpet over concrete. Yeah, that's just crazy to think that that was something that was acceptable, right? Oh my god! And then gosh. You, you put that down in, in St. Louis and Cincinnati and Kansas City. Yeah, in the middle of the summer, it's like 195 degrees. Your <laughs> feet are melting. Right, exactly. <laughs> they rubber melting on the field. Yeah, <laughs> man, the 70s rocked, didn't they? <laughs> the old astroturf, same oh. stuff that your grandma put on her patio. And with no padding. With no padding whatsoever. Exactly. Baseballs, baseballs being hit oh off my of gosh. that. Remember oh. the old Metrodome? Yeah, it would yeah, bounce. absolutely like 20 feet in the air gosh yeah it's no wonder like a guy like earl campbell you feel bad for him the guy can't even walk anymore and you just in in houston if i remember correctly that yeah they played in the astroderm dome that was all turf his whole career that that was crap turf back then as well that was that was you had some weather move through when you were refing on friday how does that go i mean yeah yeah well, I mean, I mean, nobody wants a weather delay. It just I, nobody. I, it, 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 they just suck. They, they don't happen too often. But yeah, we, we got to the ha- we, we, um, we were in Menasha at, at Calder. So that was a, it's a nice stadium, but unfortunately, the officials' room is literally the size of a small little closet, and you try <laughs> to fit five guys in there. Um, but yeah, we got to halftime and had to sit in that room for an hour. And you know, as officials, I mean, we. 
the rule according to the WIAA is that whenever you see lightning or hear thunder, you, you reset your clock for 30 minutes until you, once you hit 30 minutes, haven't seen anything, you can play. The technology has advanced a little bit now where they have the radar right on the sidelines, the trainers, and okay. the lightning detectors. So they kind of kept us updated. But yeah, it was an hour delay. And then we, we played, um, we played the third quarter. A lot of the third quarter was played in a downpour. Okay. At, uh, that's fun. <laughs> and and then we, we ended up finally calling it with 10 minutes and 30 seconds left in the fourth quarter. It was just, there was lightning and Nina was up 40 to nothing. And you, okay. the coaches, that that's a coach's decision. And that's what they decided to do. And, and you know, that's, that's fine with us. And we let the WIA know. And it's a, yeah, it's a completed game. But okay. yeah, nobody likes a weather delay. Yeah. Yeah. That was some weird. I mean, it just uh, kind of popped up and hit the uh, sel- southern part of the valley. I know at uh, the FVL Xavier game, they're in the second quarter and had, you know, probably close to an hour hour delay and they just finished up. They had a quick halftime of maybe like five minutes and they just went straight into the third quarter. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's the same thing in lacrosse. You obviously get spring uh, storms yeah. as well. Um, and, and, you know, the coaches, everybody's in the same boat. You ultimately just want to get the game played. I know some this past Friday, some teams move game times up. You know, yeah. There's a lot of coordination to make that happen, but you do whatever you try to, you know, if you if you can move the game up two hours and try to get it in before the weather comes, right. by all means, that's what most coaches, uh, you know, clubs, schools, they try to do that. Well, good. Anything else new and exciting happening? No, that's it. For just for me, it's all out football. Done all a out football. lot of refing. Yeah, a lot of refing over the last four days. And that was, <laughs> you know, it was great to get back out there and let the ankles rest a little bit and get ready to do it again this weekend. Yeah. Do you have uh, another long weekend of refing? Yeah, we have. Um, I have a game Thursday and Friday night. So okay. looking forward to doing that. And then, um, yeah, just going to deliver mail the rest of the time. <laughs> well, it's going to be nice weather. Uh, it's going to be, you know, 70s. It's going to cool off a little here. And, before we hit the heat for the Labor Day weekend. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a fun time of the year. School's going to be starting uh, as soon as uh, the weekend's done and kids will be back in classes here in, in Wisconsin and Fox Valley. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just, it's exciting stuff. So um, yeah, yeah, last we, weekend, right? Last so weekend before school. It is the, the last weekend before school for kids. So this is the last hurrah. Yeah. So, well, we hope you uh, enjoyed this episode. Um, we, uh, get to spend some time talking with, uh, with refs, refs who have all kinds of experience. Uh, we're talking about refs who are varsity high school football all the way to D one and not only football, but we have lacrosse, we have basketball, we have volleyball, we have hockey, uh, you name it. So we get to, to hear some really cool experiences and, um, really talk about the state of, of refing. At this point, uh, you know, we, if you don't know already, we have a ref shortage in the, and not only in Wisconsin, but in across the entire nation. It's an epidemic, Tash. I, yeah. I don't know if that's the right word. It's, it's one of those words where it's, it's in dire straits for sure. It is absolutely. And you know, the thing that this affects are, are the kids and mm-hmm. um, without refs, you don't have games. I know hockey had some games last year. Uh, we didn't as a team for the Fox city stars, but, uh, hockey had some games, especially down in the Milwaukee area that were canceled because of a lack of refs. So, uh, yeah, this is going to be an interesting for people to be able to hear firsthand what you guys are going through. 
Yeah, definitely. Tash, you, I, I don't know how much we talked about it in the interview, but I can't stress that enough, what you just said about games being canceled. You know, it doesn't necessarily happen in football, although the assigners really work to get the games filled and they might adjust game times. But the other sports, like the number of basketball games that are being played, and then you get into baseball and lacrosse and some of these sports maybe that don't have as many officials right. and games get canceled all the time. And I, I didn't tell the story on, on the interview, but I, I, I officiate lacrosse in addition to, to football. And the reason I started lacrosse was because my son Owen was going to play and I knew there weren't officials there. They didn't have officials. I mean, if, if he wanted to play through high school, I pretty much knew I, I needed to step up. So, you know, to be an official because you need officials just as much as you need coaches. And there's, there's a desperate need for, for coaches as well. Right. Good quality coaches. It's just, we're all fighting the same thing. We just need good quality people to, to volunteer or just be committed to some of these things. And it's tough because everybody's busy. Yeah, that's true. And you know, if we want to see our kids continue to be able to participate in the activities that they do um, from youth all the way up through varsity sports in high school, um, we have to 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 get people involved, uh, get them involved when they're young, get them involved with their playing, and let them continue to uh, to work in ref so that future generations are going to have refs. Um, we have a very our, we're top heavy as far as age, uh, yeah, and it it's something has to happen. We have to get young people involved more. So you know, those are some of the topics. One of the topics that we'll talk about when we. Uh, when we have the ref in the ref interview, as I call it. Um, yes. But yeah, it, it's uh it's good. You know, we, we enjoy the fact that we have people tuning in. Uh, I think this is going to be an informative interview. And if you continue to like these interviews, uh, remember we can find us on Spotify on uh, iTunes, any place you find your podcasts. And uh, we even have a throwback this week of a umpire Yes, uh, and NFL referee Jerry Markbright. Yeah, he, uh, and he uh, he was in the Big Ten, and he he was. We'll get some pictures of him up on our social page. I think you guys will recognize him. But he his interview, his throwback is actually it's really really good. He was he was an ex- excellent speaker, um, and, and that 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 comes through. He's he's he is a professional, and it's uh, it's really good from from nineteen ninety nineteen ninety. Wow! And yeah. if you like that interview, and you get that clip of it on our podcast. Remember that on uh, the weekend on Sunday, uh, you're going to get the full interview on our YouTube channel. Yeah. The throwback has coincided with the newscast. We released the newscast on Thursday and the, the throwback comes on Sunday, which means we have nine throwbacks up there from Bill Walton to Jackie Joyner, Kersey to, you know, there's some, yeah. All the folks that have been to the banquet, we're going to eventually get most of those names out there. So it's uh, yeah, it's it's fun to listen to. You get a snippet of it during the podcast, and and then you get to watch the whole thing on YouTube. And it's 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 the full video. It's not uh, not audio. It's it's video and, and audio. So yeah, pretty great. cool stuff. Hope you enjoy this uh, episode. And uh, yes, let's get the show on the road. Hey, Tash, should we uh, take a second from the show and talk about one of our sponsors? Absolutely. That's a great idea. And we've got a terrific sponsor 
Tash. They've been with us for a long time and, and they do something that's that's really special that we're proud of and I know they're proud of. And they're one of the sponsors of the high school scholarships each year that we, we give to high school athletes. And you sit actually on that that committee that, that chooses the high school athletes. And without JJ Keller, it's 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 not possible to to honor and, and help help these athletes. Yeah, you know, the scholarship committee is really thankful because we get to honor um, these terrific scholar athletes uh, in the Fox Valley from the various high schools. Uh, they allow us to give them a little money that goes towards their schooling. Uh, we're looking at, you know, the cream of the crop, you know, kids who are working hard in school, getting good grades, participating and being letter winners in multiple sports. And even talking about, you know, players of the year for the state at the state level. So we've had a great opportunity working with JJ Keller and, you know, JJ Keller, not only um, does the scholarships, but they're also a huge supporter of the community and even sponsoring a dog sled team for the dinner rod, which is incredible as well. Going back real quickly to the scholarship winners. One of the things that blows my mind every single time, most of these kids that receive these scholarships, their grade point average is, 4.0 or above. I didn't even know that was yeah, possible. Absolutely. Yeah, they, they triple my uh, grade point average in high school. But As Bob Euchre <laughs> used to say, I'm in the half to make the top half possible. <laughs> there you go. Well, Tosh, we're excited to have JJ Keller as a sponsor with the Red Smith Banquet and to be able to give scholarships out to the kids. Uh, they've always backed everything that we've done, Red Smith. They're, they're backers of, of the Noosa cast. And we follow the same mission where we just want to give a little bit back to the community and, and make it a place that we all enjoy to live. Big shout out and a big thanks to JJ Keller. Particularly, thank you, Mr. Keller. Hey, Newscast listeners, uh, welcome to that segment where we take a look at history. Uh, we call it an old look at new. And uh, we try to look at events uh, that may have happened here in the world uh, around us and just uh, some things that we remember and some things that have been happening uh, this week in history. You ready for this, Joe? I am ready for this. And I definitely agree with you, Tash. It's uh, taking a look at our memory and remembering the things that happened back here in Northeastern Wisconsin. And it's uh, it's actually been kind of fun. I don't know if we're going to hit the same one this week, but... Um, <laughs> Doubtful. <laughs> Doubtful, but we'll we'll see. I don't I I don't think so. I don't think you're gonna have the same one I have, and yeah, I don't think we'll so. See either. if you have the same one. <laughs> so I'm gonna start this time just to make sure that you don't copy me this time. Oh come on now, have a hitting so, streak going. <laughs> I'm uh I'm going back to 1991, and this week 1991, um, I'm in college at UW Whitewater, and a record comes out that kind of changes music history. And I, I guess you could kind of say it was sort of about around the start or it may have started the whole grunge movement. And that was Pearl Jam 10. Yeah. Oh, I, love I distinctly Pearl Jam. remember Pearl Jam 10. Uh, great band, still a great band. Love, love listening to Pearl Jam. But that that album just changed music at the time. Yeah. Um, you had 100%. Pearl Jam. You had Nirvana. All out of Seattle. Um, all out of Seattle, that grunge movement. Yeah. That was, uh, yeah, 1991, this week, 1991. That's still great music. I, I you know, listen to a lot of music myself, and, and you're right. Pearl Jam is still great. I still love listening to Nirvana. Some of their yep. just, I've been listening lately to some of the unplugged stuff, their acoustic. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's been just 
they were so good. But you're right. I mean, Pearl Jam just just an all time band. One of one of all time right. favorites, really. Absolutely great, great band. Yeah, that was incredible. Is there, yeah, you know, better incredible voice music. than Eddie Vetter. I mean, that guy's <laughs> voice is oh, just top three for sure. Yeah. Well, they've and they've done some amazing stuff, and uh, you know they've had some. You know, Eddie's done some stuff on his own too. He, the music soundtrack to Into the Wild, yes, is with is amazing. Um, so, you know, that, that's it. Yeah, that's they're an all time classic band. Uh, still, you know, still love listening to them all this time later. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's mine. That's my uh, my look at history for this week. No, I, I love that Tosh and. Um... Yeah, I took your advice and kind of look, looked it in, in, into my mind a little bit of what 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 was back in the in the day and with the start of high school football season here, getting back on the field, officiating a little bit, I kind of was reminiscing to myself. I I, I got to work at several different venues over the last few days, and I remember back to just just how much high school football has changed. That the venues, the the stadiums, and and actually the start times. So I remember very well back in the, the mid 80s, early, you know, 80s, 70s, 80s, Appleton West. It was only Appleton West and Appleton East at, at that time, and then FVL and Xavier. But very few fields had lights back then. So you started your high school football games at four o'clock on a Friday afternoon, and Appleton West would play at, <laughs> at Einstein Middle School. Einstein, yeah. Yeah. All those bleachers are gone, but I think about that all the time that, that, they played there and then Appleton West moved to Appleton East and they played, you know, when right. you and I were in school, that was our, our home football field was Appleton East. And eventually they moved down to the Bonta Bowl. But as, as I, you know, I, as I take an old look at new, the, the old, the high school stadiums have really, really changed from the grass fields to the no lights to now the, the, the new stadiums. I, I worked Kimberly the other night and, and beautiful brand new turf. The new LED lights are just nuts. I, I happened to be listening to the to the broadcast of, of the Kimberly game. John Mino brought this up when when he first started filming TV for the for the news. He he mentioned specifically the lights, the old classic. You can hardly see big big country lights, right? No, on those fields. And he was saying just he was commenting on, on just how much those those have come along. It's it's incredible. So you know just. Taking an old look back, boy, we, we've we've come a long way on on high school Gosh. football fields. Some of those old fields would have like dark spots. Yeah, that you know, you if you were playing, you couldn't see, but if you're in the stands, you couldn't really see it either. Right. Just yeah, and and you still yeah. get that in some of the smaller smaller towns. Still have that yeah. that feel, but uh, yeah, some of these stadiums now are really just an incredible the the amenities yeah. the, the facilities these kids have in high school they're they're lucky that's for sure it's not quite the level of texas yet but that that's next <laughs> level uh that's absolutely next level that just i just saw a uh, a school outside of dallas built a 46 million dollar high school football stadium yeah no 76 million it seats like forty thousand kit people it's just yeah I'm something like that sweets yeah. and, and all of that and you're playing yeah you're playing high school football which if, if memory serves me correct texas does not follow the nfhs rules they follow college rules uh they're they're oh, okay. uh, high school plays under those rules little, interesting yeah a little interesting note there but yeah anyway oh, that's cool. uh yeah our old look at new if you ever have any ideas, shoot us an email, newsicast at gmail.com. 
Well, Tosh, I think if we go around the horn, maybe have the guys introduce themselves. We uh, just briefly that the three of us work on John's crew, our Friday night football high school crews. John's the white hat, and then we have another another position, uh, a back judge that rotates a little bit. But I guess we're we're kind of the core group on on John's crew. We've been together for quite a few years, so I think we'll start with John and just. Um, if you guys just maybe tell us what what sports you officiate a little bit why what you think of officiating we all we all have a passion for it yeah i can start um john uh last name is doden and i only uh actually officiate one sport i i do football but i do obviously high school varsity football and division three college football this time of year it's pretty pretty busy um especially with you know some of the high schools playing on thursday night so thursday night friday night saturday pretty busy time of the year what um why are you an official you know i think we all have kind of our reasons maybe uh i, I would say two reasons N number one i grew up playing sports loving sports i i played football i played baseball i played um basketball a little bit of soccer but at the high school level i my freshman year i played those three sports baseball football basketball and it kind of it kind of dwindled down as I went, as I got a little bit older, I, I, my senior year, I didn't, I didn't play any sports. Um, but that's when I started officiating football, actually my senior year of high school. And then I would say number two, my second reason is my parents, my, my mom and my dad. My, my dad officiated basketball, football, baseball. Man, I don't even know how many years. He did baseball for the longest, and it, it was 40-plus years, probably even – closer to 50 years basketball definitely i don't know maybe 20 25 years football also probably close to 40 years maybe uh maybe a little bit more but my mom did basketball um hasn't done that in a long time but volleyball she's still doing volleyball she um she's in her 70s she's in her mid 70s still doing volleyball so those those two got me involved with it yeah they're i mean they're definitely members in, in the community every official knows the Dodens without a doubt we'll definitely expand on some of the some of what you talked about but uh Chad Chad does does hockey does football does a lot of things um you've seen him as a, as a weatherman on, on on TV as well he's he's a master of, of many trades so Chad what <laughs> uh what's your officiating uh resume look like and and why are you an official yeah so my main sport i guess if you want to call it that is is hockey that's kind of what i grew up playing since i was three when most of us start learning how to skate and uh, played through high school um, wasn't really good enough to go on to the next level um, at least in terms for for playing hockey i played football as well uh, through high school and had an opportunity to play uh, two years uh, at the division three level at UW Stevens Point, but it got to the uh, to the time where I had to make a decision: Do I stay at Point and kind of work on the education in a field that they didn't offer, or do I end up transferring and, and going somewhere else? So that was the end of my playing career after two seasons um, at the Division Three level. I started officiating hockey really because my my uncle who worked uh at the college level at the minor pro level 
Um, so I got started working little kids games when I was 10 years old and have stuck with it now going on 22, 20, 23 years uh, officiating hockey. Um, put in a lot of time at the rinks uh, doing youth games and just kind of stuck with it because I thought it was a really good side job, better oh, wow. than you know maybe working in fast food or something like that uh, through high school and in college as well. And then just randomly, um, when I was working at one of my first jobs in Rylander, Wisconsin, I was working a lot of high school games right. up at Northland Pines, uh, which is up in Eagle River, northern Wisconsin. And at the time, the athletic director there um, knew I played football and said, hey, we're desperate for football officials. officials. Would that be something you'd be interested in? And I n- never would have considered yeah. officiating football. Um until he he asked me that and I said you know what sure let's give it a shot so that next fall I started getting a couple middle school and JV games and before I know it I got in contact with John I forget how that whole the whole story came about um, but got in contact with John and that was probably five ish years ago now and um, I haven't really had a reason to quit I still I still enjoy enjoy going. Um, and so I kind of, what drives me to keep doing it. Plus just the camaraderie uh, with the crews that, that you make as well. You kind of lose that when you stop playing, kind of having that team aspect, but you get into officiating, especially with football, when you're typically with the same five to seven guys each week for, you know, three, three and a half months, um, you kind of build those relationships. That's something that's really tough to replace when you don't play anymore after your high school or college career. So that's what keeps me going. Yeah, that's that's really true, isn't it? The relationships, I and mean, we all have a special bond that I don't have it. I don't have a relationship like I have with you guys, with anybody else in my life. It's just you know we we have a a pretty specific thing that we focus on, but it, it bleeds over into other parts of our lives. But I just love that. That is one of the things for me that I just love about officiating is just that the relationships. No, I I I can't really agree more. Um, you know you can especially at a high school level you know you're not you're not doing this to get rich by any means um and so just being able to have something to look forward to especially if you have a a big game um it's really hard to replicate anything like that in some different type of occupation um and especially if you're a a big sports person that grew up playing that sport where else would you want to be other than literally on the field or on the court or on the rink uh, being in the middle of everything, um, you know, I can't think of another job where you can do that. Um, I know people like going into coaching, um, but right. that's just something that I, I don't feel like I would enjoy nearly as much as being able to do what we do. No, I absolutely agree. And we were talking about relationships and one of my favorite in the world is this next guy. What a guy this guy is. Steve Liddell. When, when, what, how many sports do you do now? I don't know if I have enough fingers to count, but how many sports do you do? Well, we do, we do, we do baseball, basketball, and football. Yes. And then um, I'm an official for volleyball now. He dabbles. He dabbles in volleyball. <laughs> and so volleyball is a long story, but, you know, I, I grew up playing all three major sports. I went on to college, and basically how I got into this thing, I had done some little league baseball in high school. And a guy, I was 20 at the time, he says, hey, we need a third guy. 
to do some baseball. It's a two-man crew, and uh, we'll just go three-man. And playing baseball, I thought, well, I, okay, I played baseball. I, I know everything, so no problem. Well, it was a collegiate summer league game, and I had no idea what I was doing. The only thing I really remember is <clears throat> I had a swipe tag in the ninth inning that I totally blew. The guy was safe, or he was he was really out. I called him safe. <laughs> and all I remember is the manager <laughs> going to the front step of the dugout, and the guy that was behind the plate, a guy named Jim Schaefer, who was uh, in the Mountain West Conference for years, yelled out, hey, Jimmy, help out the kid. And uh, that was the tying run at second down the swipe tag. And uh, <clears throat> the next batter got out. We, we ended the game. Thank God. And I just remember <laughs> going back to the locker room and they had beer waiting for me. And I think we drank a six pack before I left. But that was my first real game. And I just caught the bug from there. And, I, you know, you couldn't, I couldn't play any of the sports anymore. I wasn't one of those guys that was going to be playing you know, past 22, 23 years old. So I thought officiating would be would be an interesting uh, endeavor, uh, journey, so to speak. And it's been a journey for, you know, close to 40 years. And I think, you know, that's one of the things Chad mentioned, you know, the relationships are the key. Um, you know, the guys I work with nowadays, I, I just, I really enjoy. Um, you know, I think I've seen just about everything in officiating, but I think one of the things that officiating going into it that I didn't really realize, I think it made me a better human being. It made me a better business person. Um, it helped me with relationships. Um, it helped me in a lot of ways that I never thought, you know, officiating a basketball game or a baseball game or a football game <laughs> that could ever give me, give it back to me. So, but, you know, I know we're going to talk today about the state of officiating, but to go to volleyball, um, I learned volleyball through YouTube. And, uh, the true story is a couple of years ago, a guy says, hey, Tuesday and Wednesday nights, are you free? I says, I'm free. I need you to do some volleyball games. I said, I've never been on a volleyball court. So he says, go on to YouTube, learn the game of volleyball, no problem. So I go like four days, I'm studying YouTube. I get on the court, and there's a veteran guy there, and he says, hey, you're new? I says, oh, yeah, I'm new. He says, how long have you been doing this? Varsity match. I says, we're about to begin my career in five minutes. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of where we are in the state of officiating. You know, so it's been a great journey. And uh, You know, you're not supposed to share yeah. that you learned volleyball by watching YouTube videos. You know that, right? Yeah. <laughs> But true story. So you're honest. Yeah. But that's just, just that's just a whole that's a whole journey of officiating. And um, you know, I, I really believe after all these years, officiating is a mirror of society. The, the challenges that we face in society, we see in officiating. I don't think the kids have changed over time, but I think society's changed, and that has changed the, the art of sports and the art of officiating. I handle situations a lot different today than I did 20 years ago, just because society's changed. That's why I think one of the great challenges of officiating is so. No, I, I agree. And I think we'll, we'll get into that in a, in a little bit. Um, Tash, one of the things I've got to tell you about, about Steve and his dedication to 
officiating his his travel schedule during the season. So Steve's currently in New Mexico right now working. That that's where his day job is. So we had a game this past week, Thursday and Friday. Okay. So Steve will fly in with the red eye on Wednesday night, get into what Milwaukee or Chicago at five in the morning, drive up here on the day of the game, <laughs> go to JD's for a couple of cheeseburgers and ten Pepsis. <laughs> and then we meet and work our game Thursday night and he does the same thing for lunch Friday. And we work our game Friday night. He'll do a college game Saturday. <laughs> if it really works out, he'll throw a youth game in there. And then he flies back to New Mexico. But you've been doing that for ever. Yeah, 16 years. Wow. I'm in the beer business. We sell liquor. We sell all kinds of soft drinks, beer. But I don't know. It's just a way of life. It's a lifestyle. <laughs> I'm in the beer business, too, but it's just drinking. So. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my wife will tell me, you know, the beer business – and the officiating business has been uh, the mistress. You know, she thinks officiating is like the Peter Pan syndrome. You know, doesn't get it. And uh, but that's just the way it is. And you, you got to have a good lady behind you to let you do all this because um, it takes up a lot of time. Um, my wife would rather watch grass grow. You know, I, I worked a national championship football game. I said, hey, it's going to be on ESPN. You should watch it. She had no interest. So, uh, but it, it, you know, it's, it's a fun endeavor. So. Hey, I got a question. Any of you can answer. Maybe all of you will. You all talked about doing youth sports, high school and college. What is it like transitioning before all, between all three of those? Well, I, I think working youth sports, you see every situation. You might not see it in a high school game. You might not see it in a college game, but you will see situations in a youth football game that you might have never seen before. And you got to go back in the mm -hmm. locker room at the end of the game and look up the rule or situation. I, I would say to as far as youth, Tash, it, it's more I'm teaching a little bit more out there with the youth. Okay. I'm, I feel like I'm more of a coach. Um, right. I'm telling the kids, you you know, this is the way you should. And I actually show them out on the field between plays. This is the way you should block. This is where your hands should be. Your hands should be inside, not hugging, <laughs> not hugging your opponent. And I think that's just to kind of jump in here. One of the main things, differences for when I when I'm out there officiating youth football, I'm more of a teacher, more okay. of a coach. And not just with the players, but also with those coaches as well, teaching them a little bit about football, teaching them a little mm -hmm. bit about the rules. Yeah, and I think okay. I, would, I would really agree with uh, John and Steve more so, you know, for me more about the hockey, um, having that background, doing more, you know, youth stuff back in the day, having more of that mm -hmm. patience and versus your rules and game, game management which is what you start to use a little bit more as you move on through high school and into college. You know, when you're working a seven, eight year old hockey game, a lot of the kids don't know what offsides is and some of this stuff. And so being a little more lenient, uh, I guess, right. just to let them play versus being totally strict uh, on some of these things is something that you would get away with more with that age group. And then that all starts to change as you move up and the kids get older and by, you know, by the high school level, they should be knowing uh, most yeah. of the rules and what they can and can't do. 
And then the other thing, Tash, is the rule differences. It's huge. Yeah. Maybe not so much for the youth and to high school because those rules are very similar, right? The the youth okay. they use the high school a lot of the high, or most of the high school rules for the most part pretty much the same, but then from high school to the division three to to college rules, all the little differences <laughs> that you need to transition from from a seven o'clock. Friday night varsity game and you get done at 930 and then you're officiating the very next day at one o'clock, maybe even 11 o'clock in the morning at a division three school. And just knowing the differences between the two and making sure you're not mixing them up. It's huge. It's difficult at times. Yeah, Tosh, that is one of the biggest challenges. That and then the mechanics from a Friday night to a Saturday night, every just everything changes and it's, it's probably one of the frustrating things the officials here are the parents and the players and coaches, they don't understand the rule differences. And then it, you, you even add another layer, the NFL rule rules are different than college and everybody gets those mixed up and, right. and, and argues and, and, and thinks it's a, a call is a certain way, but they're using Sunday rules, but officials can't screw that up. You, you have to know what you're talking about and what you're calling. And John's right. That that's a very difficult <laughs> thing. And, kind of leads to my next question we, we briefly talked about it but the time that we all put into to this i mean i look at this as, as a hobby that i take really serious and none of us are in it for the money none of us would do it for free but we we all take it serious and we, we put a lot of time in during the week and and as officials progress to the d1 and to the to a professional, you know, to an NFL official that they put in even more time, but even at our level at the high school and and the lower college level, you got to speak a little bit to your preparation during the week when you're working a Friday night game and then a Saturday night game. We, you've, you all have a busy schedule. If you just look at your football schedule, John, what's, uh, what's your week look like, man, it's even more now because you, you guys know I'm now a crew Mm -hmm. chief white hat for division three. So I think I told you, Joe, and Chad and Steve, maybe this past Friday night or Thursday night, I feel like I've sent out more emails, you know, within the past couple weeks that I've that I sent out all of last football season. You know, to emailing coaches, it's oh, it's it's a lot, it, it, you know. And I'm getting um, pregames typed up for college, and you know, the high school pregames. You know, sending out those emails to you guys is it doesn't take up a whole lot of time, but um, it's a it's a lot of time. So you know, you're watching film throughout the the week. You're watching high school film. Uh, you're watching college film, and I even try to do that if I can um, during breaks at work or during my lunch break um, when I'm working out after after my job when I get home at three. 3.34 o'clock on my iPad. I'm watching film. When my kids go to bed, uh, 8.30, 9 o'clock, I'm popping on film, high school or college film, sending out emails. It seems like whenever whenever I get the chance during the week, it, it's spent mm-hmm. doing something with officiating. A lot, it's a lot of time. And I'll let these other guys kind of answer about maybe what a Friday night looks like or when they're leaving or right, what a right. Saturday looks like as well. Something you bring up that I don't think a lot of people, you know, the average parents, 
your fans out in the stands is just what you what you just talked about is the amount of time as an official that you have to put in and prep before these games on Thursday, Friday, Saturdays. That's, that's crazy. And it's, it's all the sports. I mean, you have Joel with lacrosse, you have Chad with hockey, you have Steve with a little bit of everything and John with football. I mean, we're talking, you guys are all experience in every single sport from fall through spring and <clears throat> that prep time. Um, that's, that's incredible. I mean, I, I didn't even realize how much prep you guys put in to prepare yourselves to be at that level for each of those games. Yeah, one, one of the best tools that, that has ever happened to us, and, and I know the teams will say the same thing, is the ability to watch film. When, when we all first started, you didn't have access to film. I remember bringing CDs to, to schools, asking if they could burn a, the tape to it. But now we can <laughs> – the film is pretty good and the quality keeps getting better every year. So that really helps. But to John's point, then you become, I mean, you want to watch the film. We always are looking at our fouls. We're always looking at, there's always plays in every game that you want to look at. And the, the officials that want to get, the officials that want to get better watch film. Okay. Yes. Yep. Chad, what's, I know you have crazy weeks as well. What's, what's your weeks look like? Yeah. It's gotten a little more crazier within the last two seasons, especially for football, because we're, now adding games on Thursday. So what would typically be a, a normal week of, of work, you know, Monday through Friday, uh, now it turns into working a game who knows how far away. Hopefully, you know, not too far. We're not getting back at midnight, but sometimes there are those, are those situations just due to distance or, you know, at the time of this recording, just a few days ago, weather delays and things like like that. So um, just doing your best to time manage um, and have the ability to have, you know, a few of these extra nights. So this time of the year, still Thursday and Friday evenings, uh, for the most part now, are devoted to, to high school football, getting to the field, typically around hour and a half, uh, hour 15 before kickoff, because then we typically are out on the field by about 6.30 for a 7 p.m. kick, so we can go through our pregame routines with coaches and stuff like that. Um, and then, you know, come Saturdays uh, for Division Three football, most of the games around Wisconsin and nearby states are either at 1 o'clock or there might be an evening game, a 6 or 7 o'clock game on Saturday. So much like for high school, depending on how far away you're traveling, you might be getting back from your high school game at 11, 1130, and have to be on the road meeting some of your crewmates by six, seven o'clock that next morning to get to your game by, you know, 11 a.m. for a, a 1 p.m. kickoff. Uh, so you can go through your typical routine and just what they expect from us to be on the field and stuff is different for college compared to what you would normally do for high school. And then once we're able to get the film, uh, both from the high school games and then the college games, I think all of us on here would agree that no one's a bigger critic than ourselves. So I'm still relatively new uh, at football. I have a lot to learn, and I'm not going to get better if I'm not watching the calls that I make and the mechanics that I'm doing and not just the good things, but what did I screw up on? also because you have to be honest with yourself um, during the good and the bad uh, to get better so spending that time getting through uh, the film uh, for the high school games once we get that film for the college games then we're 
having to enter in the penalties that we called or didn't call into a website to then be critiqued by Division One officials wow. uh, later on that following week. And so, you know, it, it's really interesting, especially when we're talking about the film. Uh, someone who has no experience officiating whatsoever asking me about the job, and I say, yeah, we're watching film and stuff like that. One of the most typical questions that I'll receive is, well, why do you watch film? Well, mainly for the reasons I just explained, because we're trying to get better. Um, and so it's not just reviewing film that from a game that you just worked, but then if you have the opportunity to watch film for the next week on a team, kind of scouting, hey, what type of, type of formations do they do? How do they run their offense? Tendencies like that. And that becomes a little more um, evident and I think routine as you get into Division Two and Division One uh, football. But if we're able to get some of that film, even at the Division Three level, our crews are typically having a Zoom meeting or something like that, you know, on a Tuesday before a Saturday game, uh, just so we can all talk about the previous week and what we have upcoming in that following week. So, you know, we're, we're talking about all this work that goes into it, but we don't want it to deter people from getting involved as well, because what you get out of it, you know, is really rewarding, despite what sounds to be like just a whole extra amount of work and, and job you can right. you can find a way to you know to make it work if it's something that you really do enjoy yeah you absolutely can the rewards absolutely outweigh the the work i mean mm -hmm. for me it's it's a really fulfilling thing in life and i i chad mentioned something about this crew in particular is really honest with each other when it comes mm -hmm. to film I'm like we'll honest if it's good call bad call and i i really like that nobody wants to hear that hey you made a mistake but it's really good to hear that and and it's it, it helps in life to to hear that and, and that that's one of the things mm -hmm. that i get out of officiating is i love that that brute honesty I mean, you don't get that everywhere steve i know your schedule is is crazy you put just as much time into watching film you throw travel in there as well uh, depends on the the season of uh, my my schedule is different for baseball. It's different for basketball. It's different for football. Um, so I'm very structured. Uh, I do a lot of planning. I try to stay consistent on the sport uh, because I'm older. Health is always a concern. Uh, so how I take care of myself um, it is pivotal uh, because as you get older, you know injuries. They, they, st they stick around longer. Um, so I, t I try to take care of myself. Rest is important, but I think planning for me is critical. Um, you know, I look at film at the same, same time, same days. I'm very structured, uh, especially on, in football, basketball, <clears throat> because I work in the high school and the college level, you know, I'm working six days a week, baseball, uh, more football is a little bit different because you're working one or two times a week. So the planning and the structure is different depending on the sport. You know, one thing I learned from um, uh, John's dad, Jim Doden, and, you know, Jim's one of my mentors. He used to never tell you you got something wrong, but the, this is the way he used to challenge, I know, myself and other uh, officials that he mentored. You know, he would always say, what would you see on that play? You know, what did you see in that situation? 
uh, how would you have handled that situation different? He might have been telling you you got it wrong or he might have been telling you you got it right, but he was always challenging you to, you know, to analyze a situation. And that carries on with your, your business life and your personal life. Uh, because I think life is a constant evaluation of kind of where you're at on things. Um, you know, the other thing is, you know, all three sports I work is, is vastly different. And I think Chad would speak that too with hockey. Hockey's probably the hardest sport to officiate. It's fast. You're on skates. So I, I think it's important that you bring a different mentality depending on the sport that you're working because it does. It takes a different mentality to officiate each of these sports. I think the other thing is <clears throat> you're as good as your last call. So it doesn't matter how long you've been doing this, but you're as good as your last call. So you got to constantly uh, do things to get better. Um, you might not move as fast as you once did or as quick. So you got to improve on your positioning. So uh, the thing I like about officiating, it's all about continuous improvement. And, uh, that helps you in your personal life. And that, that's the biggest thing I would tell guys about that, you know, want to get into officiating. It will help you in other things in your life, just not officiating a sport, but it will carry on to other things in, in, in your life. And I think that's critical because life today is challenging. Um, it's a challenging environment that we're in. And I think officiating can help you. Uh, in your personal life. Your last call Friday night was spot on that you, you had that, that lightning detected at three and a half miles and shut the game right. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's how good my eyes are. You know, I can see the sun and the, and the sun is 10 million miles away. So think about that. That's how, that's how good my eyes are. You know, um, I, you guys probably all have stories about refing and in different sports and stuff, but what do you see, you know, you, you talk about the reward, but what is, Besides possibly the planning and everything, what is one of the most difficult things that you guys have with refereeing right now? Oh, you know, that's a good one. Um, I tell you, um, dealing with coaches is different today than it was 10, 20 okay. years ago. Um, there is more cooperation with coaches in dealing with them. Uh, there was a time in all these sports, friction was, it was just gonna happen. But I see a more cooperation, okay. um, both at the high school level and the college level. Um, it's made our jobs, I think, a little bit easier. Um, the scrutiny now with video, you know, as Joe was saying, you know, 30 years ago, we never saw video. Now, now we get video, the, the scrutiny uh, is always there. Um, because we're in a business that you either got it right, it's either correct or incorrect. Um, and I think the other thing is, um, probably the hardest thing is you got to be willing to take feedback. You got to be willing to t get criticized and learn from that feedback. Um, you know, I, I think that's the only way you get better. So, you know, fortunately, the guys I've been, that I've been with the last several years, you know, we have open dialogue, we have open feedback. Guys welcome that. But I, I think that's, I think that's one of the things that you always got to be challenged with. Tosh, I'll I'll jump in here. I, I think one of the difficulties, because I think that's what your question was. One, a difficulty that we kind of encounter, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for for me. 
to, to answer your question, me being a crew chief, um, it would be, you know, maybe I would say athletic, I don't want to get myself in trouble here, but <laughs> athletic directors and having athletic directors and maybe, you know, those people that should be responding to emails and, and letting, and when they eventually do respond to emails, um, and give me the information I need for a high school game, for a college game, um, then actually having those individuals follow through on what they say they are going to do um, on a Friday night, uh, meet us at the school, um, <laughs> let us into the school, uh, get us into a locker room, um, walk us out onto the f- field and at halftime walk us into the locker room and those types of things. Um, yeah, sometimes I'm going to be honest, athletic directors do not follow through. They, they don't, they're not there. They're not walking. <laughs> yeah. They're not doing what they should be doing. I know those individuals are busy. Um, and just kind of those things also just maybe the respect that officials deserve, um, you know, something little as having water in the locker room for us when we're there or water in the, in the locker room at halftime or a Gatorade yeah. or so, like a little bite to eat for after the game. Cause we're running around and hot dog, a hamburger or something like that. You just don't always get that as an official yeah. and, and Tosh pay, payment too. I, I know we said we don't really officiate for the money, but Sometimes payment is hard to track down at times. Uh, you don't get paid until two, three, four weeks later. And <laughs> you, you all of a sudden get a de- direct deposit in your checking account. You're like, what the, <laughs> what game is this from? I worked this game f- four or five weeks ago. So those types of things, the respect officials deserve is not always present okay yeah and i think well i think a lot of this stuff that you know for at least us on this call that are difficulties a lot of it for the most part is stuff that we really can't control sure you know we've all been doing you know some of these sports long enough where whatever happens on the field or the playing surface whatever sport you're doing the players and coaches you've done it long enough where you kind of have figured out how to respond to whatever situation it might be. So there really can't be anything that a coach or player can do or say that is really going to impact me all that much just because, you know, been doing it for so long. But to John's point, a lot of it is, you know, just stuff that you can't control. And I know, especially these, these high schools and the smaller schools, they got, a million other things they're trying to do and it's week one and two and they haven't had a home game yet and you have a new athletic director and you know but at the same point you kind of need officials to have the game too and so it's um you know just just kind of some of those things and something to work off of steve's point as well that i've noticed not every coach has mentioned it not that we're looking to get you know positive feedback and stuff and you know everyone clap our hands for us but there's actually been a couple coaches that have thanked you know me and some of the other crewmates for being there 
primarily on Thursdays because I think it's gotten to the point now because we're having these Thursday games, people are starting to realize there's not enough crews for all these schools to be playing on Fridays. That's just the state that we're in. And so that traditional Friday night lights type thing, that I don't really see that coming back anytime soon because we're not gaining more crews um, every single year. Right. If anything, it's the complete opposite. Um, and I really hope it doesn't get to the point where we're having to work Thursday, Friday, and Saturday routinely for high school because there's not enough crews to even work Thursday. Um, but I think it mm-hmm. has gotten to that point where now that we're having to play games on a day that's traditionally not before football, that uh, people are starting to open up their eyes and thinking, oh, we're actually having to do this because no one wants to potentially get into this, you know, profession for a multiple of reasons, right. you know, which we can talk about or not, uh, depending on timing here. But, um, you know, I think that's been certainly an eye opener for some others are just, you know, potentially oblivious to it. But I think a few now it's, it's starting to click, which is encouraging to see. Yeah. Well, Chet, I think you bring up a point that I, I know I wanted to get to, and as long as you brought it up, I know I didn't get comment from each and every one of you but it it is it is the reference situation i know in hockey at the youth level they retain about 50 percent of their first year refs how does that look in the other sports that you're all involved with as well yeah it's very similar in in all the sports uh i think i heard a stat that now the average age of a football official is 60 i that seems pretty high but i guess i'm not real surprised um I did a signing for, for lacrosse, the high school lacrosse for the last few years. And it was most of that job was basically trying to change the schedule and move game times around because they're, you're shuffling the same handful of officials around. There's just not enough officials and football's the same thing. Chad's right. That's why they're playing Thursday. Um, that's why they're playing, you know, they still play Friday, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's games on Saturdays coming up. There's just not enough crews out there. And I know with Steve in New Mexico, Steve, it's it's even worse down there. Yeah, I mean, I work down in Texas and New Mexico. All three sports have major issues. All the sports have major issues. And here's where the difference is. 35 years ago, if you got into football, you might work your first varsity football game after seven years working JV freshman ball. Today, you can sign up for football, and chances are you're going to work a varsity game within the first two weeks. That's same in baseball, football, and basketball. You should ask Chad because I think uh, – yeah. Chad, I don't know how many lower-level games you worked of for football before you had our your first varsity game with us. I, I could – I don't know. Maybe you worked a couple years, but I don't know. I mean, that, I mean, that's where we're at now. And people are, the crews are getting older. Uh, we can't get the young guy. And there, there's a couple of reasons why. Anybody under 30 right now really never got yelled at. <laughs> it's a different society. It's a different world. When I grew up, we did a, what we were told to do. Coaches were gods. You know, I played under three Hall of Fame coaches at Appleton West. Yeah. You did what you were told to do. It's a different world now. Um, officials, young people now, want that instant gratification. They want to get paid now. They want to work varsity now. Um, it's just a different society. And quite frankly, the young person doesn't want to deal with 
any of these issues uh, getting yelled at or whatever. And that's the challenges that we face right now uh, in all sports. And, you know, if you look at Friday night football, it was the place to be. Now attendance is down. There's less and less kids playing football. There's less and less kids playing sports. It's just a different world. And I think one of the challenges that we face as an officiating group in the United States, we got to change with the times a lot quicker. And one of the things I've always been a proponent on is a couple things. One, you should get paid that night. That young person wants to get paid now. The second thing is, if you're playing basketball, you shouldn't have to go to gym class, but you should have to take a class on basketball 101 because that's the best chance we have to get a guy or a lady. They're playing basketball at high school. They might not play at the college, but they still want to stay in the game. And they learn the rules in a high school class atmosphere. But I'm telling you, we're, we're at a point now in five years from now, you're going to see varsity games on Monday night, Tuesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, and, and Saturday. You're already seeing varsity games being played on Sundays in different sports. But you will see some radical things in the next five to seven years that will change the landscape of high school, not only high school, but also college. But you can see where it's going. It's it's going to be like speed to market. You got to make the necessary changes because there there are going to be, just like in Roswell, New Mexico, they canceled over sixty varsity games last year in all their sports. They had to make them up. Down here, when you work high school basketball, you work the varsity ladies first, and then you work the varsity men second. And sometimes you might have to do the JV game before that. That's three games. You never did that. Uh, down here, you're working doubleheader football games. We got we got varsity games that start at 1030 at night. So um, things that you never thought about five years ago, you're going to see. Like Chad was saying, they're playing football Thursday, Friday, Saturday now. What's to say they're not going to start playing Monday, Tuesday? It's coming. It's going to have to. And I will say – there's a lot of people oh, trying ahead, to prevent this from happening. Just here in Green Bay, we have our Green Bay Officials Association. We have a committee that's kind of been resurrected um, for football. The point behind this committee is to help train, help recruit, um, give people more tools such as film and video to help everyone get better. Um, I know there's a few of us that are planning on going to a few practices um, to talk to teams, um, things like that, because we don't do that. The numbers certainly will decline because it's true. I mean, what what teenager wants to go ref a youth game, especially uh, hockey, which I've seen certainly change uh, over you know, my 20, 20 plus years um, being in rinks. Um, if I were starting right now, I probably wouldn't want to 
you know, stick around for a whole season because of the verbal abuse and social media. That, that was all stuff we didn't have uh, in the early 2000s when I first started. So I was lucky I kind of started then versus versus now. But I think there, people are starting to realize that there needs to be more cooperation and understanding that without officials, you're not going to have these games. Um, and, you know, athletic direct, directors and coaches, um, asking what what can we do to get more people into this and i think we just need as officials and these associations need to just do a little better job and try to build some of these relationships where we can get some of these kids who might not be playing at the college level or even some that do you know maybe they're playing football but they played basketball growing up as well and that could be a good side job um, if we can really start to rebuild that base and interest um, and have the cooperation from the ad's and the coaches and the parents um, i think we can kind of prevent some of this gloom and doom um, that could be out there so you know it it could go either way but trying to be more optimistic that there's you know a lot of people a lot of good conversations and things happening to try to get people back into this and if we can continue to do that um you know hopefully we can get back to a point where we're just playing on fridays yeah chad you're you're absolutely right and well said and you know i would add to this it's it's challenging being an official but there is no better feeling than stepping on a field being part of the action on a friday night i mean that that rush that high and then working a good game going in the locker room and, and you know fist bumping and for, mm -hmm. for a good game and having that satisfaction again that's something if, if it doesn't matter what age you are you can be a teenager your 20s or 30s but you'll appreciate football basketball whatever sport you officiate it you look at that sport a completely different way it's a new way of looking at a sport it's a feeling that you really can't get in other places in life and just be a part of the action. And it's just, mm -hmm. you, you got to try it. You, you really do. It's easy to sit in the stands and criticize. Just put yourself out there in an uncomfortable mm -hmm. situation and, and it's life changing. I, my son has talked about doing youth sports. And when he's uh, ref hockey, um, you know, he, he's 17 year old doing 13 year old like peewee and bantam and he would talk about how the coaches would just yell at him on every single call parents is it worse at the youth level and does it get a little better as you move up into the high school and collegiate level yeah 100 percent youth is most difficult with parents i'd agree with that yeah it's not even close yeah it's, yeah it's, youth sports is a different problem. yeah it's been a while since i've been to a youth hockey game um know a year or two but <laughs> when i do randomly walk through a rink and stuff it's like i said if i were starting right now even at 32 years old i don't know if i would have the thick enough skin as a new official to you know continue and we have to understand this isn't every single game most of the games go through you know just fine but it's a few of the bad apples that you will eventually run into if you work enough that can really ruin it um which is incredibly unfortunate because then yeah. we get to the situation with the number of people doing this that we're we're currently in um but you move up uh into the high school level then it's a little more um organized might be the wrong word but now you have an athletic director that you're working under. You have the WIAA, the state association that you're working under. Then you go to the collegiate level. Then you have conferences and the NCAA. So there's, you know, a little more um, 
a bigger penalty, I guess, for uh, some of the behavior issues, especially for players and coaches, fans. You know, it's it's kind of tough to control and say they can't come to their next kid's game, uh, stuff like that. But um, for whatever reason it is, you know, you have eight-year-old Johnny or Susie out there and everyone thinks that they're going to the Stanley Cup and they're going to be in the Hall of Fame. And um, most of them won't be, but how sure. we change that culture and why that kind of dissipates the older they get, you know, I'm I'm not quite sure. But, um, you know, it's, it's too bad because you have the younger games. Odds are you're going to have younger, more fragile officials out there who don't have the experience, one, just with the rules um, in working games. But how do you handle these irate parents and coaches? You have a rule book that you can enforce things, but yeah. they've never been put in that situation before. And it could be the third game they've ever done. And they're just they're trying to learn. So it's interesting. You think it would kind of be the opposite. But for whatever reason, the, the youth seems to be the most difficult. Mm-hmm. You, you agree, Joe? I do. Yeah, I concur. You know, Tash, I and I'm not I'm not going to disagree with you guys. I would just say that at the youth level, Tash, what I've tried to do is when when the kids come out for that coin toss for the for the games I work I tried, usually a coach comes with them, right, Joe? Usually a a coach is out there with those captains. Yes. And Mm -hmm. I don't do this every single Mm -hmm. game, but um, I kind of know some of the schools where, you know, the coaches might not be that knowledgeable about football and know the rules. And I, you know, once we have the coin toss, I might say to those coaches, maybe after the kids leave, just have a little talk with the coaches. Tell those coaches, hey, I don't want to hear anything from you guys today. We're the kids. These are sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. They're out here to have fun. They're out here to learn. I'm not. I'm not going to throw my flag on every single play. We will get the big ones. Don't worry. You know we know what we're doing out here. But I'm also going to help your kids. And this is what I said before. Help your kids learn how to play football. Teach your kids a little bit out here on the field today as well. Yeah, and and there are some leagues, and, and, and there's some leagues that are better than others. You know, my experience, you get into, oh, when parents pay more for their kids to play, you, you tend to get uh, a lot of unruliness, whether that's AAU basketball, whether that's summer lacrosse. Um, I'm sure some of the, I don't know how it is in hockey, but, I, you know, I don't know if parents just feel way more entitled at, mm-hmm. at certain ages when they're spending more, but that 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 is really the worst of the worst. The other thing I would just say about the higher levels then, Tosh, is those coaches are wanting to win to keep their coaching positions. They can get, um, like mm-hmm. Joe just said, unruly from time to time, and they can get loud and they can yell. And it even takes us, it goes a step up at the division three college level. Those coaches are fighting for their jobs. They want to win football games because they want to stay as the coach at that particular school. And maybe they have aspirations of moving up to a division two school or even possibly right. to a division one school, like, you know, like a Lance Leopold 
he started at Whitewater Division Three, and look at where he is now. He's doing a great job, I believe, mm-hmm. at uh, Buffalo University. Yeah. So I know these guys, and I overall I agree that the youth, um, you can get a lot of unruly coaches and think they know more than you do, or and fans yelling from the stands. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I also see it at the high school level and at the college level as well. Maybe not to that point, but it's it's pretty close. Okay, definitely different challenges at, at different levels for sure, and different sports even yeah. too. You guys uh, have all talked about your experiences, um, and we've talked about some of the difficulties. But let's let's talk about some of the rewards. What are some really good things that a good one, Tosh. that have come about because of refing, because of the things that you do? I think I think life skills, um, how to handle people, how to uh, build relationships, how to be part of a team. There's a lot of rewards. How to how to organize yourself, time management. You know, you're learning a craft that demands you to continue to get better. You know, and like Joe was saying earlier, there's nothing better than working a great game. Um, that just that satisfaction, you know. So I think there's a lot of life lessons you can take from this. The reward, the rewards, task could be endless. They could be endless. Yeah, communication skills, the ability to work under high pressure situations, being able to keep your cool. You know, they they often say when you know there's chaos or a fire, you're the one to put it out and calm everyone down. Um, you know, so there's not a whole lot of jobs where you can get that experience on day one, like going out to uh, officiate a game. Um, teamwork, you know, you're you're not working by yourself. It's it's a crew, um, depending on you know every sport. Um, so yeah, I agree with John. You could name out a skill, and we would be able to find a way to pinpoint it to one of these sports and how you have to manage a game with not only kids, but adults as well. Well, I was going to take this to, you know, the, as a reward, the actual, um, the, the games you're assigned, you know, high school work in a state tournament, uh, a championship game is a huge reward. Very satisfying um, to be assigned a, a state tournament in Wisconsin, you get to go to Camp Randall, where the Badgers play and work a game. Um, it's it's a it's Even a, the playoff assignments. It, yeah, the play yeah. So sometimes a level four playoff assignment is just as good as working a state game. Um, so and then being at an event like that with your crewmates and just kind of seeing the smile on their face and like Joe working a, his first state tournament game with me back in 2019. Yes. Yes. Uh, I think that was the first one, right, Joe? And we, we had the division two game. We did a phenomenal job and, you know, seeing the smile on guys faces too is a reward for, for me um, when it's their first time there. Yeah, the experiences, Tosh, are, are incredible. You know, we, we've kind of touched on it, but like John said, I mean, who gets to run around Camp Randall, you know, or even, you know, we were fortunate the other night to work a big high school game locally and, and you know, 
it's on TV and you have the excitement and the lights are on. I mean, those are experiences that most people don't really get to get to do. And it's, we put a lot of work to, to put ourselves in that, that position, but that that's the reward is to work those big games, get the big, you know, get the, the playoff assignments that you're hoping for. I mean, that, that's the payoff for us. Mm-hmm. And, and that means we've done a good job. Yeah. Steve, I think you brought up a good point and being an educator, I was kind of thinking of this. You know, we, we do offer, a lot of classes and things for kids, but you're right. I mean, how great would it be that if you offered a football refing class as a half credit during football season, a basketball refing class as a half credit, get WIAA involved that we, I mean, that might be the only thing that saves where we are today at this point um, is somehow get that involvement back into the high school. So we get these kids doing some refing, doing some, some things that, that helped them understand the game as well. I mean, that's where you hook them while, while they're yeah. playing. And if you can get a young person out there officiating and you can get them to survive that first year and get them to come back that second year, then they're on that journey. It's, it's getting them hooked. It's getting them to survive that first year and, you know, getting them hooked up with a mentor and then, their career is on its way, and that that's gonna that's gonna be the key to the future of officiating, um, because we have a lot of young guys that we we officiate, and those guys are gonna be officiating for the next thirty years, because they're hooked, they're, they're they're committed, they're there, but just getting those young guys to come out or those young ladies to come out, and once you get them out. They can get through that first year, then they're on their way. And that's the thing we really got to be promoting. You know, just get out here, get your feet wet. You know, we're going to help you. And um, then you can can have a long career. The education now for a, a young official now is incredible. From manuals to video to a lot of educational tools, stuff we didn't have 30, 40 years ago. We just didn't have it. And now there's a, a really solid structure now. Somebody can come in and learn in so many ways of how to officiate a certain sport. You know, it, it's a journey. And uh, and uh, we just gotta we just gotta hook enough people and we get out of this situation because we need officials and uh, it starts with the young people. I know USA hockey does a really good job with their their um online presence uh, i know i've watched my son take take the modules and stuff is there something like that as far as the no. football and volleyball uh, youtube maybe um <laughs> baseball and those and those sports that offer the same type of thing yeah pretty much all the sports they, they youtube's incredible and, and okay. some associations are better than others but i i would guarantee whatever you're working there there's an association out there that has good youtube content mm-hmm. for you to you know, to, to really accelerate your learning. The, the lo- there's a strong local group of, of, of officials that really do yeah. do train. I mean, Chad's up in, in Green Bay and, and that group. I mean, that was my very my very first time on a football field was through the Green Bay Association. Mm-hmm. They taught me how to blow Fox 40 and throw a flag in the air. I mean, it was that basic. But when you first step on a field, you need to learn <laughs> that kind of stuff. Yeah, and what people, what people forget too is that, you know, these teams, they have a, a full week of, practice before the game our practice is the game so 
unless you have the ability to maybe maybe work a scrimmage before week one um you know there's really no opportunity for us to get additional snaps either before the season or even in season because you're just volunteering your time to go show up at a practice and hope they're running some 11 on 11 or something like that so um it makes it even more difficult to you know get that extra practice because it's really not available outside of just before the season starts and then once week one hits you maybe had 60 snaps in front of you which is you know maybe a quarter and a half for most games maybe a half we don't get to see a whole lot before before the game start and then we don't really see a whole lot in between each game you know, I never answered your, your question. You asked about what is the hardest thing about officiating. And for me, and these guys have all touched on it, but it's that constant pressure to always either get your, your call right or get the no call right. But it's that it's every snap, you always have that pressure to to make that judgment. And that, that I mean, you get used to it and you understand how it works. But at the end of the day, that is the hardest thing about officiating is that decision of, is that a flag? Is that not a flag? And, and when you get a decision wrong, Joe, we are the ones that feel the worst about it more than mm-hmm. anyone else. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah it, it, you, it, people don't realize that. The, the hardest call to blow is when you apply a rule wrong. You know, penalty enforcement, anything that you apply a rule on, they, it was under your control. Those are the ones that just stick with you. A penalty enforcement that's black and white, Man, those things linger for you for a long time. Kind of like a hold during a kickoff, right? You you, you don't re-kick. Right. But then it goes, it goes back to life lessons that we keep talking about. You know, I think the other thing why guys should go or ladies should go out and officiate, you meet a cast of characters in the journey. <laughs> All officials come from different walks of life. And so you deal with a lot of different personalities, a lot of unique people. You learn a lot from these unique people because there are a lot. A lot of these people are different than you, um, but that's that's one perspective. I tell you the relationships that I've that I've had for years and years of people that I got to meet, got to spend time on a, a basketball court or a baseball field or a, a football field. Those are lifelong relationships, and all the learnings that you learn from other people that come from. I never worked with a guy who works at the post office. So I asked that guy millions of questions about the post office (laughs) for half an hour last week, because I never (laughs) knew anybody that worked at a post office, which I think is so cool. So, you know, John's a teacher. I never met a weatherman. Chad Chad was a weatherman. Like, are you kidding me? That's the (laughs) biggest reason I would tell people it's a journey of people that you're going to meet in all walks of life. That's why you should be an official. Well, I think you just bring up another point that people, when you're sitting on a, in a Friday night or, you know, whatever game you're at, you're sitting in the stands, you're a parent, you don't realize or you don't think about that official out there has a job that's 40 plus hours a week besides everything they're doing to try to give your kids an experience that is going to give them skills for the rest of their life as well and you don't think about that you don't think about oh these these people are 
they're people too. They have stories and they have journeys as well. Agreed. You know, it's something about when you, when you put on the uniform, people look at you differently. It's like being a police officer. They put that police <laughs> officer uniform on, you just look at them differently. It's the same thing with officiating. It's, true. it's something that I've accepted years ago. People are just mm-hmm. going to look at you different. They're going to raise that standard. It's the only, it's one of the few jobs in the world that you're expected to be perfect on day one. That's true. And that's not reality, but that's just an expectation people have. You know, we're all looking for that, that perfect game. Someday we might reach that, but you know. I think Jerry Davis said you, you have a hundred percent chance of being 50% wrong every time you make a call. Well, I want to put you guys, each of you kind of on a hot seat here. So whoever wants to go first on this one, Ken, What's one of the funniest things that you've experienced as a ref? What's the funniest? I like that you guys go first. There's a few. <laughs> oh, man. Well, it's certainly I, – I, I have one, and we just talked about it the other night. Uh, Trying to keep it G-rated here. Exactly. <laughs> kids show. <laughs> Mr. Liddell, yeah. uh, we, we should keep a counter on how many times he uh, he has to hit the head here before the game. And uh, oh. where, where was that was – Sturgeon Bay or Dork County or somewhere. Yeah, so Sturgeon Bay. It was between quarters. We're at the Yeah. We're we're toward the end of the first end of the first quarter and he had to take a leak. I gotta go to the bathroom. So that first quarter ends, I sprint. <laughs> you get one minute, Tosh, between quarters. One minute. <laughs> and I made it I made it back. <laughs> but uh, you know, I worked pro baseball for a lot of years and I remember one time. I'm in uh, West Texas. I'm working the plate. And the next thing I know, I see this person running across the center field with no clothes on. They never caught the guy. But streaked across the center field about 15 years ago, went into the stands and ran out of the stadium. I don't know what all happened, but I'll never forget that. Um, Because you're not quite sure what you're actually seeing, but you're seeing it. You know, one time a guy came out on me. Uh, screaming at me and he says I gotta you gotta toss me because we're getting beat badly and I says no no mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not gonna toss you because you're gonna have to live this nightmare with me and then he walked <laughs> he walked away you know it, 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 you have different characters that you deal with uh, coaches say stuff to you that make you laugh um, just things happen before so those are things that you just mm-hmm. you do it long enough you, you, you'll see different things yeah, T- Tosh, that's a that's a tough one to to answer. Joe brought up a good one there. There though, he brought up a good one with Steve. Steve's Steve's one of a kind, like we said at the beginning. Oh boy! Right here, here's a classic. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> this had to deal with John's dad. John's dad was a stickler, basic, boom, boom, boom. One of the best officials of all time. Playoff game. We leave the footballs in the locker room. We, we kick off. We have no footballs except the one football. The old man, we don't tell him because he would have gone nuts. But we played the first two series of that game with one football, and then finally we got the footballs back in from the locker room. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what, Tosh. I just – this may not be the funniest thing. This may not be the funniest thing for me. But I think the rest of you will enjoy this. I just thought of this. My first ever, I'm pretty sure it was my first ever Division Three college game. 
And I was on the supplemental list, so that just means I was filling in on a crew. I was, I was one of the Deep Wing officials, um, but at UW Oshkosh, out on the field before, but we go in, we go into the locker room, you know, 10 minutes before kickoff, and I have to go to the bathroom. I take my flag and my beanbag out of my pants so, you know, they don't fall into the toilet. And I, I set them on, I think, like this vent in the UW Oshkosh officials locker room. I don't put them back on. I don't put them back in my pants. My first ever Division Three college football football game, I, st- I started it without having a beanbag, without having a flag. I had to ask someone on the sideline <laughs> and say, hey, I don't have my flag. I don't have my beanbag. And I knew exactly where they were. Can you go into the official's locker room and grab them for me really quick <laughs> so I have what I need to have out here on the field? That's real fear. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I didn't have a backup flag in my back pocket. Now I always take a second flag with me. But at that time, I did not have a backup flag. Luckily, <laughs> I don't know how many series went by, but I, I think a couple series went by where I didn't have it. But whoever I asked to go back into the locker room and grab it, they, they came through. And I don't think anyone knew, except for myself and that one individual. John, we can laugh about this now, <laughs> um, but your dad's last state tournament, and I, I took his, his spot after, after that game. Oh, God. Oh, he got God. trucked yeah. on the opening so, play, didn't he, and went flying. So this was, I think, 2013. But uh, I'll tell you, you guys, g- growing up, you know, my friends in high school, they called my dad Jim Dandy. They called him Dandy. You know, if we did something wrong, if we had a party and, you know, my mom and dad were out of town and we, I had friends over and they found out he would get heated. He, you know, they called him Jim Dandy. They called him Dandy. And I guess where I'm going with this is Joe's right in that state tournament game. I was the white hat. That was my first state tournament game championship game. I was white hat and my dad was the umpire. Well, the umpire for football is in the defensive backfield and he, he just got ran over. And this is when he's like probably 60 years old. He just got ran over and I give him credit. He popped right up. But to this very day, when I hang out with my friends from high school, Um, and I'm still very good friends with a lot of my high school buddies, they always want to, they always want me to pop in the DVD, (laughs) the DVD that my mom bought me from, from the championship game, that championship game. So they can see my dad get run over and, and tumble (laughs) over and do a backwards somersault. Yep. Jim Dandy with a somersault. Yep. Yep. Yeah. For me, um, yeah, there's, well, it seems like, you know, all the real, you, for, you forget a lot of the games, um, but the experiences you have with, with your crews and people that you're traveling with and stuff, um, I have a lot more of those memories versus playoff games, you know, for either sport or, you know, big rivalry games. Um, but when I was still working youth hockey, you know, seven, eight years ago, um, we have our clinics that we have to go to um for usa hockey each year and i stopped at the gas station or whatever and had a um you know a large extra large soda or whatever and 
we were in classrooms. So a lot of these clinics are just at a local high school or something like that. And so we have, you know, little desks and we're taking the test and I turn Ron and there goes this huge, you know, thing full of soda all over my tests, all over the floor. Well, obviously that's embarrassing because now everyone's looking at you while they're trying to take their test and it's supposed to be quiet and everything. Well, one of the instructors um, at the time who was in the classroom had some pretty high connections um, with the the folks at uh, UW-Madison. Well, a couple weeks later, it just happened to be my first Division One hockey game uh, at Madison. And so I get into the locker room at the Cole Center, and there's this massive box of like baby sippy cups that had my name on it and it said try not to spill anything in here welcome to the you know the big leagues or something like that um you know i don't know who was all behind that you know if it was a coach or equipment manager or whoever but um you know i'm I'm nervous going into my my first college game and it was kind of nice to have someone lighten the mood a little bit. And I, I knew right away that that's what the joke was when I opened the box and, you know, see all these little sippy cups and bottles that a baby would use. So I'm not spilling anything in their, uh, in their locker room. No, I was just going to ask, Steve brought up a, a coach coming and saying, Hey, you got to kick me out. We're getting crushed. I don't want to be here anymore. I got to do something. Have, have any of you guys had that experience as well? A coach just saying, my team is needs to be fired up. Kick me out. I'm not going to say anything to you, but just kick me out. Here's the best part. You, you see some of these coaches enough and especially at the college level, um, you start to know when if they're getting their butt kicked or something, you know, something's working them that they are miserable being behind the bench and they're doing everything they can to get kicked out. But you know that the worst thing that they want, to happen is to stay behind that bench for the rest of the game. So, you know, everything <laughs> in the rule book and all your training and everything that, you know, people say you need to get rid of this problem. Um, you know, you kind of get that game management and if you're able to, you know, keep them around, um, sometimes keeping them behind a bench is more of a punishment uh, versus just sending them to the locker room a little bit early. That's not everybody. And you really have to know your time and place uh, to do something like that. But, um, you know, it's at least for me, it's been used uh, a few times, especially for hockey because the interaction um, between hockey and football coaches, while there are a lot of similarities, there's also, definitely some big time differences on how the rules can be applied and, you know, things like that. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's always kind of funny because eventually they start to pick up on, on what you're doing. And, um, you know, it's just kind of interesting to see how long they can stay upset. I mean, officiating is like, it's just deal with people, Tosh. <laughs> it's, it's relationships. It's how you build with people. You get, a, you get a reputation as an official. You get a reputation as a crew. You know, there's a lot of times we walk on the field. You could tell a coach is happy to see us. Or you walk, you, you go to a basketball court or, or a baseball field, you know when you're welcome versus when you're not welcome. And so to me, it's, it's how you deal with situations. It's how you deal with people. That's the biggest thing that 
officiating taught me is how to deal with people and deal with situations. I always tell young officials, you know, know the spirit of the rule, know when to throw your flag, when not to throw your flag, um, you know, when to handle the business, handle it the right way. Um, take care of your business off the court or off the field is just as important as how you handle your business on the field. It's just deal with other human beings, plain and simple. And, um, you know, that's what officiating is all about. And that's what it teaches you. Because when you go out in the business world or you go out and teach or whatever you do, and, you know, when you're not officiating, those are skill sets you've got to have to be successful in your life. You know, as I get older, um, intelligence to me is overstated. It's, it's how you deal with people, um, how you react to, to people, how you react to situations. And that's the biggest thing that, you know, this journey of officiating has, has given me and what I've seen it give to others. No, I agree. We enjoy the journey, right? Always enjoy the journey. What's one piece of advice? I mean, you've you've taught, you've given a lot of advice throughout this hour and a half. What's one piece of advice that you want to give people out there who might be thinking about coming into refing? One thing that you think is like a gold just do it gold piece of advice from you. Just do it. Start. <laughs> do it. Get yourself a mentor and just. I, I do was it. just gonna say, try to try to get a mentor. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah don't right, don't just, knock it till you try it. Yeah. Um, Always remember this. The greatest risk that you take in life is the one that you don't do. The other thing is, it's who you marry. Okay. And uh, for us married guys, we've already taken the biggest risk. So jump into officiating. It's a journey. You'll love it. You'll have your ups and downs. But at the end of the day, you'll thank Uncle Steve. Okay. <laughs> On that. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. I yeah, this was this was great. No problem. Thank you, Uncle Steve. All right, NoosaCast listeners, here's your favorite segment and our favorite segments. Uh, I say that sarcastically because we really screwed it up to begin with, and we're working our way to to figure out what it really truly is. We're in the forgetting, forgotten, and never forgetting. Hey, we got it. Wow. <laughs> We're never we forgetting. We're never yeah. forgetting, Tosh. Never forgetting. So the forgotten and never forgetting, um, like I said, it, it's fun because uh, you never know what you're going to get. And uh, I think we have some good ones. I, I have a t- couple. Yeah, they kind of hit home a little bit. They're kind of fun. Yeah. So well, why don't you start us off, Tosh? What do you have? All right. Forgotten. Uh, So my son, when he was young, my wife grew up on a farm. And uh, so my oldest son showed pigs at the Calumet County Fair. And I went to the Manitowoc County Fair with uh, Will on Thursday to watch watch my nephew show a steer. And I want to tell you, I am sure glad that none of my kids show animals anymore. You think it's sports are stressful and things like that. But fair prep and cleaning your animal and this distress of your kid showing an animal in the rink and having to do well so it 
so it sells. Uh, th- that's something that I want to forget because that was a stressful weekend. Oh, I believe it. So when they, is that a year? How long are they carrying for the animal to, to lead up to uh, showing? So pigs usually are bought in the spring and you raise it through the summer and you do the fair. But when you're talking about a steer, you're getting it the summer before and you are working with it all winter, all summer. And, uh, so my, my nephew, Dylan, his steer was 1400 pounds. Dang. So when he, <laughs> he shows up, what do you, what do you win? Like, what's the ultimate, what are you hoping for? You're hoping for grand champion, okay. which means that you have the best steer in the entire fair. And then you have reserve grand champion, which is the second best. Um, so he actually did really well. Um, and his, in his weight class was the grand champion. So when that, stu- when that animal was named grand champion, they brought him back in with his, uh, his steer, Jerry, <laughs> and he got a chance to be for a reserve grand champion. So he was in the top four for, uh, for those animals this year. So his first time doing it. So pretty proud of him. It was pretty awesome yeah. to see him in the, in the rank doing that. So I'm afraid to ask his- what, what happens to Jerry. Jerry gets bought. He he goes to the butcher okay. and makes some tasty meals for people. I got you. I love Jerry. I love Jerry. <laughs> well, that's good steaks, for him. I love that. Yeah. yeah. But it, it's stressful for the kids. It's stressful for the parents. It's stressful for the grandparents. Oh. It's pretty much stressful for everybody. So It sounds that way. That's uh, I know you've been doing that for a lot of years, and that's uh, – yeah, I, who knew that that is awesome that that's uh, i can feel the stress in the voice for sure <laughs> well tosh what do you got joe yeah i'm it's forgotten and i'm kind of sad that it's forgotten but summer's almost forgotten we're, we're heading into labor day oh. weekend and you know the sun's setting a little bit earlier and although it has been warm this last week it's going to start to get crisper at night and leaves are going to change we're going to head into fall and it's a great time of year right. for sure but uh i'm gonna miss summer i the older i get the more i just like the warm weather and i hate to say summer's kind of forgotten yeah you know what it kind of is we're we're in that last big weekend now the last big week before the official uh it's not the official but we kind of consider it the official end of summer right even though it's not until September 21st, which is the, uh, the equinox, but, uh, yeah, this is the last big week of summer and last big weekend. Yeah. yeah, You're absolutely right. And, uh, yeah, it almost seems like the way football is right now, that almost marks the end of summer for some reason. It's just a hard stop. That's that's a good point. Absolutely. Football has a grip on us. That is for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It is a good time of the year though. I like fall. I like the, uh, the change changes that take place and a little bit cooler at night, have a nice fire outside, different things like that. So. Oh, definitely. All right. Well, now we're never forgetting. Yes, I'm never forgetting. And so you've been through this once. I have never been through this. So my never forgetting is my son going off to college on Wednesday. Yeah. Um, he goes to UW Oshkosh first year. And I'll tell you what, uh, this is my first uh first kid going away to school. And, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, it's been 18 years and, uh, you know, I'm going to miss, going to miss him. I know he's not that far away, but, uh, I'm going to miss not having him at home talking to him after work and after school and practices and things like that. I got Ethan yet. 
got four more years of high school with Ethan, so that softens the blow a little bit. But yeah, the first one is always a little uh, little difficult. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, everybody says it. It's 100% true. The time just flies by. It, it, it really yeah. does. You can't believe you're at this point. And it's Yes, if you look at it, it's it's a you know it's, it's a change in relationship with you know with your son. It's a different right. different stage. It's a, it's a great stage, but yeah, there's nothing like just having a kid at home. You know, it's, <laughs> it really isn't. I it's uh, takes a lot of getting used to, and I don't know if you ever get used to yeah. it, but I I feel yeah, I don't think you do. No, but no, yeah, definitely a change. So yeah, that's what I'm 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 not going to forget those times I've had uh, with Will. And, uh, you know, we start a new journey now, a new story. Yes. Basically. Yes. And, uh, we put our part in for the last 18 years. Now he gets to move forward and, and make his own story and his own journey. So that's really cool. Well, Tosh, my, uh, my never forgetting is that this episode has been all about officials, um, being an official. I, I, I love it. And one of our sayings, and, and I I've applied this to life. One of our sayings right before we, we take our positions uh, be, before um, before the opening kickoff, we always bump fists and say, enjoy the journey. And I'm just never forgetting that. I try to apply that to life to just enjoy the journey. That's awesome because, I mean, that's kind of what we've been talking about as well, right? Yes. I think Tim, go back a few episodes, Tim Landwire posted what was great about the interview and what he really enjoyed was the fact that it wasn't necessarily about a book that they wrote. It wasn't necessarily about the fish that he caught. It was about his journey through life to where he was. Absolutely. And I think that's what you're talking about. That's what this podcast is all about too. That's it's right. about the journey. Enjoy the journey. Well, with that <laughs> folks, it's forgotten and I'm never forgetting. I think we got it right. Well, anyway, I think so. <laughs> all right, Tash. <laughs> Hey, NoosaCast listeners, uh, we have a pretty cool uh, throwback that really kind of ties right in with the episode um, when we look at officiating in the state of officiating in not only the state of Wisconsin, but also the entire country. Um, we're going to take a look at NFL referee Jerry Mark Bright, which is pretty incredible career. And Joe is right. When you see a picture of Jerry, you are going to know exactly who he was. Yes. Yeah. Nobody knows who he is until you see his picture. That That is for sure. We were lucky enough in 1990 at the Red Smith Banquet to have Jerry Mark Bright uh, join us as, as, as the main speaker. And, and he was still an NFL uh, referee back back then. So he was, yeah. you know, big time. And the White Hat gets, yeah, like, gets I mean, a lot of face time in, a, in an NFL game. Yeah. And, you know, you look at his accolades, four Super Bowls, 10 divisional games, uh, eight conference championship games. I mean, that's that's a career right there. That's pretty incredible. And that doesn't even go back to all the, you know, he refed high school games. He refed college games in the Big Ten. Right. Um, so, yeah, this is a this is a pretty well-rounded person that you're going to be able to listen to in his experiences. Yeah, he, he is an enjoyable. He, he really he's a professional speaker. He is excellent at that, that that craft and. I've always, always enjoyed somebody that can just really speak and tell great stories. And you'll get that out of Jerry. Um, it's a lot of great officiating stories. I tell you, he's, um, you see it all. You're right out there in the action. And, and with that comes a lot of great stories. Yeah. And speaking of great stories, he's also written three books. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if you, if you enjoy this and you enjoy uh, his, uh, his interview with the Red Smith, 
uh, awards. Uh, go check out his books as well. Brad Smith Sports Awards. Banquet Throwback. Red Smith Award, of course, goes to someone who has made some unique contributions to sport in Wisconsin. And also epitomizes the great values that Red Smith exhibited. Let's give a Red Smith welcome. Okay, here we go. A referee, he only has six other friends, they're all wearing the same uniforms. <laughs> And then he has his own family, so he has a few more friends. And once in a while, the winning coach might smile at him. Jerry Markwright is a National Football League referee. Prior to his current position as a ref in the National Football League, he was a football official in the Big Ten from 65 to 75. He joined the National Football League in 76 as a line judge, and since 78 has worked numerous postseason assignments, including two Super Bowls. Here's Jerry. At last, <laughs> I almost couldn't get out of that seat. It's a great pleasure to be here, to be with all these dignitaries. Willie, who saved me on Super Bowl 21. Coach Infante, who has always been very nice to me. I knew he was happy when he saw me come in to work the Dallas game this year. I was filling in for another referee who was ill. And I could see in his eyes that he knew he was going to win because I haven't had a game that he's lost since he's been here. But he said some bad things tonight. That seeing eye dog story hurt me. I want to assure him that I will be here many times next year. You know, being a, a referee is kind of a minor celebrity role. I walked in here tonight, a few people recognized me, but most people looked at me, they didn't ask for my autograph here, they came by here, they asked Don, they wanted Coach and Fondy, they wanted Willie, who's that guy sitting next to Sutton? Gee, he looks familiar, but I don't know who he is. You see, that's the way it is with a referee. I was in the men's room at O'Hare Field not too long ago, minding my own business, washing my hands, when I saw the guy behind me looking at me in the mirror. He looked from one side to the other, finally, he nodded and went. <laughs> I acknowledged it with a nod without turning. He patted me on the back and I walked out. <laughs> That's the kind of recognition we get. They really don't know who we are. It's kind of fun that way. Now, I know everybody wanted to ask me, they saw me working in the San Francisco NFC Championship game. Who's going to win the Super Bowl? Who's going to win? Who's going to do it? I don't have any idea. I'm not an expert on football. I don't know how the Packers are going to do next year. I don't know who's going to win the game in two weeks. I'm an expert on officiating. I'm an expert on the rules of the game. Every time I tell a friend who I think is going to win, the other team wins. So I really don't even try. But I try to be the best I can be at officiating. I try to be perfect every game, and I have yet to escape without some mistake. Even tonight, sitting here, 
two innocent gentlemen walked up and said, listen, I don't want to insult you, but there was a call you made in the game Sunday. Why was Craig blown dead on that option pass? Can they have in the grasp on someone other than the quarterback? I said, no, but my body thought it was in the grasp. My mind said that his knee was on the ground, which it wasn't. And I'm still reliving that call. Fortunately, it had nothing to do with the game. But they wouldn't let me escape, even here at the Red Smith dinner. You know, in officiating, there are a lot of risks. You try to be the best you can be, but there are risks involved, and you can't escape. I try to go out there and be the best referee in the land. Sometimes things happen. In 1986, living in the Chicagoland area, in bear country, is there a single bear fan here? <laughs> My condolences to you bear fans. I got a call from the league office early November. They said, look, we're gonna give you your first bear game. You have been in the league for 11 years, you've never worked one. It's late in the season, we're having a scheduling problem. They don't like you to work where you live. You live in the Chicago area, they keep you away from the Bears because you know if I made a bad call in that game and they know I live in my own town, someone may come out and blow my house up. So they said, look, we're gonna give you the Bear Green Bay game. It'll be a nothing game. <laughs> Green Bay's only won two games. It was November 86 and I thought, gee, I'll have my crew out to my house for dinner. I'd never had them out to my house for dinner. It was terrific. My wife made a terrific dinner. We had everybody out and it was a 12 o'clock kickoff. Typical dismal late November day, Soldier Field, drizzle, place stuffed to the gills and the game started. Typical opening Green Bay Bear game. We had eight major fouls in the first quarter. <laughs> then things quieted down. Two minutes left in the second quarter when Jim McMahon rolled out to his right. This is the best town in the country to tell this story. <laughs> he threw a pass right down the field. Now as the referee, I don't watch the flight of the pass, I watch the quarterback. He's my guy and I watch him no matter what. But I heard the crowd moan and I knew the ball was intercepted. But I stood there watching as McMahon, head down dejected, started walking slowly toward the sideline. When out of the corner of my eye, I saw number 94 Green Bay coming around Jim Covert, who'd been blocking him. He kept on coming and I thought, he's gonna stop, this play's over. Eight, nine seconds, 10, 11, 12. All of a sudden, here comes this Charles Martin. He runs up, he grabs McMahon, he picks him up, turns him over, and stuffs him head first into the ground. before McMahon did. I thought, brother, do I have one here? McMahon motionless. Martin on top of him. Martin pushes up and stands up, and Jim Covert, who'd seen this, came running from behind, and he hit him with everything he had right in the back, and down went Martin again. I looked at that thing, and I thought to myself, today, that is not a foul. <laughs> It was obvious to me that Covert was protecting McMahon. 
Unfortunately, two of the other fellows on my crew flagged that foul. <laughs> there were three flags on the ground when I heard a voice from my right. It was Ditka. Do I see, see three flags down? Yes, sir, I said. You always call him sir in Chicago. He said, does that mean you may have an offset? I said, it's possible. He said, if you do, you won't get out of here alive. By this time, Martin was up on his feet. I grabbed him by the arm. Now, we're not supposed to touch players. This guy's a good size, a not tremendous. Average, 6'5", 275. <laughs> I'm not standing in a hole up here. <laughs> I'm 5'9", 185. I grabbed this guy by the arm. I said, fella, you're out of the game. Let's go. He looked at me. He said, I'm not going anywhere with you. <laughs> I said, if you don't, they'll kill you. He said, in that case, let's go. <laughs> I took him over to Forrest Gregg. I said, coach, this man's out of the game. Get him out of here. Greg looked at me and said, what did he do? <laughs> McMahon was still motionless. I got back out to the middle of the field. Ditka's out on the field. He walked over to me, put his arm on my shoulder. He said, look, kid. He said, I want to apologize for that threat. He said, I shouldn't have said that. He said, I want you to know that I've talked to my staff. We'll do everything in our power to get you guys out of here. <laughs> he said, but if you offset, we still won't be successful. I walked him off the field. I said, coach, we'll handle this. I talked the other two fellas into picking up their flags. We wound up with a disqualification. The Bears won 12 to 10. <laughs> it was the worst violent act of the 1986 season. I didn't know whether I had done the right thing by ejecting this guy or not. Nobody, to my recollection, had ever been kicked out of the game for something other than a fight. The next day, the league office was very pleased. I got the highest grade you can get. I got a seven on the call, and I also got the Super Bowl that year. I'm convinced that that call got me the edge for the Super Bowl. But the risk of making the wrong call in your home stadium was devastating to even think about. The risk of officiating in a situation like that could be absolutely the end of your career. So talk about risk. You know, when I walk out on the field, I feel like I'm 6'8", 280. I'm not afraid of anybody. I'll step in and break up a fight with the biggest guys in the business. I just feel like I'm that tough and strong out there. During Super Bowl 21, I was having a conversation with Rulon Jones in the middle of the field during a commercial. Jones is 6'9", about 270. And we had a really nice conversation. The next week, it was in Sports Illustrated. There was a picture of he and I. My head came up to the bottom of his number. I looked like a midget out there. I couldn't believe it. I just felt so strong. Three years ago, I was working a Raider game. Howie Long was complaining to me that he was being held. Long's about 6'6", about 275, and he's tough. He said, they're holding me. I said, they're not. He said, I said, they're holding. I said, you're not. He said, you calling me a liar? I said, I'm not calling you a liar, but I'm telling you they're not holding. He said, I'm going to punch you right in the face. He said, nobody talks to me out here like that. I said, oh, you are going to punch me in the face? Go ahead and do it right here. His teammates heard this, Matt Millen and the bunch. Go ahead, Howie hit him. Go ahead. <laughs> I said, go ahead, either do it or shut up and back away. <laughs> I knew he wasn't going to do it. He backed away. He didn't talk to me the rest of the game. Didn't talk to me for three seasons. Nothing. Not a peep. Opening of the 87 season. The Raiders are up here at Green Bay. 
The game's over, we're in the airport. I'm walking through the bar to get to the restaurant where the officials are having a sandwich, where all my gear was, when Tom Flory stopped me and asked me about a play in the game, and I hear a voice from the bar say, is that you, Mark Bright? I looked over, and there at the bar was a set of shoulders like that. It was long. He said, I've been waiting three years to get you off the field. We're going out in the hall now to settle this. <laughs> he got up from the chair, he turned, I went for my flag. <laughs> he walked over, he put his arm on my shoulder, he said to Flores, this is the toughest referee in the league. He said, this guy tried to pick a fight with me right in the middle of the football field. <laughs> Well, eight weeks later, the Raiders were up at Seattle. It was the Bo Jackson 220-yard game. Somebody hit me from behind hard, and I was on my rear end seeing stars when I felt someone picking me up off the ground. I thought it was somebody on my crew tucking my shirt in, putting my hat back on my head. I looked over my shoulder. It was big number 79. It was long. Big smile on his face. Patted me on the fanny and whispered in my ear, little guys like you have to be protected. <laughs> me because I was so tough and of course the best part of being in the NFL every once in a while you can get something special meet someone special get involved with somebody wonderful after Super Bowl 21 I got a I got a letter from a little boy in Scotts Bluff Nebraska dear Mr. Mark Wright you're my favorite referee I wear a number nine shirt every time I watch a football game could you send me an autographed picture something about yourself I was flattered I sent it sent everything I'd brought back from the Super Bowl, T-shirts and posters and, and the like. About a week later, I got a phone call. It was Charlie Stacy's father. He said, I want to tell you how much Charlie enjoyed getting your stuff. Charlie's the greatest football fan of all time. I want to tell you about Charlie. He's special. He's severely crippled with cerebral palsy. His whole life is sport. He has a hard time even speaking but he knows everything about pro football and he loves you and the officials. I was so flattered and so touched by his dad's call that I began to write to Charlie every week. I got a program from each game and on Mondays after each ball game, I would write Charlie a letter telling him what went on in the ball game, something special, inside stuff that we're not supposed to talk about, that nobody knows but the officials. I wanted him to have something inside of football. This went on all year, and we got very friendly, and I was getting audio tapes every month from he and his dad. And I called him on his birthday, and we really got really close. I was hoping I'd get a game in Denver, because John Elway's his favorite player in the whole world. Denver, his favorite team. They live about three, three hours from there, Scotts Bluff, Nebraska. I didn't get a game during that year, but I got the January 10, 1988, Houston-Denver playoff game. And I sent four tickets to the family. They promised they'd come. We were going to meet at the 30-yard line. And at 1.30 on game day, down I went, and there they were. There was the mom and the dad and the sister and little Charlie. And I had it all prearranged. Over the fence came Charlie Stacy in my arms. I had John Elway, Rulon Jones, and Keith Bishop waiting there. They took this little boy and walked him all around the field. They spent five minutes with him. He got all kinds of souvenirs from the team. It was the biggest thrill of his life. Absolutely unbelievable. When they brought him back to me, he hugged me so hard and told me he had the best time he'd ever had in his life. I, kid, I kissed that kid so hard on the face, gave him back to his dad and went upstairs. Came down three minutes before kickoff and his mom was standing at the fence. She said, I want to tell you what Charlie said. He told us he had the best time he ever had, that he never thought he'd ever have a thrill like this. 
And he didn't want us to be mad because he told us he was never going to wash his left cheek again for the rest of his life because he didn't want to wash that kiss off. Well, this is our third year now. He's doing terrific in school. We talk on the phone all the time. I continue to write. If he ever publishes those letters, I'll be fired instantly. But because of the National Football League, I'm involved in this little boy's life. The NFL is a wonderful thing. It's done a lot of wonderful things for people. I know you all enjoy watching the ball games. Rest assured that they are in good hands. I wish you all good luck to all of the honorees tonight and to all of you and your wonderful organization. And thank you very much for having me. Well, NoosaCast listeners, uh, we're glad you could join us for episode nine. Uh, I think it was a good one. We, you know, I always think it's a good one, but uh, I really enjoyed this one because we really take a kind of deep dive and looking at the state of refereeing and uh, where we're at right now as a state, as a country. It's not just the Fox Valley issue. Uh, this is a country issue and we are short of refs and the refs that we have right now, um, we're, you know, kind of burning out to a point. Uh, and they, we do this. We want refs because we want our kids to play. Yeah. And uh, we need to get more involvement, as we heard from all of the uh, people in this in this podcast. We need more involvement at a youth level to get more refs involved so we can continue to have that service for these kids to play the games that they love. You know what I hope, Tosh? It'd be kind of cool. And and this is how I think of it and, and why really why I officiate it. I, I, it's just something different. You know, everybody has a hobby or, or maybe you don't have a hobby. I, I don't know. But if, if you want to just, you want to do something that's fun, that puts you outside your comfort zone, that it, it, you use your mind, you read, you study, you, you, you interact with people, you use so many different skills. And as much as you want to put into it, that's as much as, as you're going to get out of it. And, and I, I started officiating later in life. I, I wasn't young when I started this. I, I was, shoot, I'm trying to even think. I must have been right around 40, late 30s when I actually started officiating. And I wish I would have started it earlier. You know, if you're young out there, there is a, we always talk about the athlete that, that has yeah. chance to go to D1. Well, the same is for the official. I mean, I, I know several yeah, officials that, that, I mean, can you imagine working Camp Randall, uh, you know, a Big Ten game? or work in the oh NFL, you know, that's, yeah. that's not out of the question for young kids that, that high school kids, people in their twenties that really want to get dedicated and, and take the craft serious. There's an opportunity there. Um, but even if you don't get to that level, I mean, it's pretty cool to work high school games on a Friday night, right. you know, or yep. heck, it's a lot of fun to go out to pop Warner and work those games. You know, it's just, yeah. Every level has something different Definitely. and there's rewards in each and every one. And the rewards are different as you move through the levels. So, and I would challenge any sports fan out there. I love sports as much as anybody out there, but I will tell you with 100% certainty, certainty, if you take up officiating, you will look at sports different. You will look at the sport that you're officiating completely different. I cannot watch a football game anymore. Like I used to watch a game, you know, I'm watching the officials. You just yeah. become part of that. You know, I, I love watching a Packer game, but I'm not focused like I once was on, on certain things. It's it's more, right. uh, you know, Southern things. So that's the cool thing about it because it, it just, it's a different experience. I don't know. Life's all about experiences, right? Tosh, you do a lot of really that's cool true. things, you know, from beekeeping to <laughs> bailing hay, you know, but 
this is one of those things. If if you have a yeah, absolutely. project, it's, I beg you to at least consider it. It's a lot of fun. Our our sports needs people to step up and rough. Yeah. So. Yeah, uh, this is good. Ep- this was a great episode. Hopefully, we shine some light, and hopefully, we inspire some people to uh, jump into the ring and get the bug to to do a little roughing. That's right. So, um, if you enjoyed this episode, remember we're coming back at you next week. Uh, I think we have a special one for you. Yeah, uh, it's going to be uh, interesting to uh, to hear the stories and the journeys. Uh, and remember, you can find these episodes wherever you find your podcast and listen to your favorite ones. So please come and join us, subscribe, check out the YouTube for the throwback, entire throwback episode. Um, And we look forward to seeing you next week. Absolutely. Always a hoot, Tash. Thanks for listening to the NoosaCast. We appreciate your support. If you haven't yet subscribed, please do so and tell a friend. A huge thanks to Digstown for all the music in today's episode. Catch a gig or find them on Spotify. Northeastern Wisconsin Sports Advancement is a 501c3 organization. Our mission is to raise money, provide support, and create awareness for youth sports organizations in Northeastern Wisconsin. We do this primarily through the Red Smith Sports Award Banquet and the NoosaCast. Each year, we give back to the community through three initiatives, the Every Kid Plays, the Gives Back Initiative, and scholarships to student athletes. 